0: I'm very pleased to present our recent uh, research paper just got published at the end of this presentation. There's a link um, to the free copy of this article, so stay tuned. Um, I would like to acknowledge my co-authors, Jiajia Cheng, um, who is working with me as a PhD student, and she did most of the work, uh, as you can imagine, um, that I will be presenting. And Andrew Cheen, actually, he was presenting at the IEE Seminar, about a couple of years ago and that's how we were connected and he is from the University of Chicago. Um, And this is a collaboration with uh, both of them. So let's start with the uh, variable uh, renewable energy. As we all know, uh, variable renewable energy is growing rapidly Um, in California, especially uh, as you can see there is a quite significant growth in solar and wind uh, renewable energy sector in recent years. And the growth is set set to even further extend um, under the uh, renewable portfolio standard targets. So by 2030, uh, we are expecting to have about 60% of our um, electricity coming from variable renewable energy. Currently, it's about 30%. We are kind of slightly overachieving that 30% target. The problem of uh, increasing the variable renewable energy in the grid um, is that, well, there is a problem called curtailment. I think many of us are familiar with the curtailment, but for those who are not, I would like to kind of uh, introduce what the curtailment that we are talking about. So let's say here is a, let's say, typical, um, you know, load profile, supply and demand profile of electricity, where these are yellow marked, you know, yellow colors. These are uh, PVs, uh, photovoltaics. And as you know, um, natural gas power planning, they can modulate their output, they can increase or decrease to a certain extent. And coal power plant, to my understanding, is much more difficult to modulate the output, especially if they cannot completely turn off. So even if there is a lower demand uh, during the time when uh, renewable energy is pumping out this electricity, it cannot go down to zero. This is fine until um, renewable energy portion in the grid is, is up to certain level, but as it grows, there will be a, the case um, from time to time when the uh, supply of electricity from variable renewable energy exceeds the total demand. So in that case, what we are seeing in this red zone here is a curtailment, meaning that this is excess electricity that does not have the demand that matching with the production So this is called curtailment in in basically what happened is that um, utility companies are shutting down, basically not receiving those electricity or not producing those electricity, or we are worse, uh, we are selling that uh, excess electricity at negative cost, basically we are bearing the cost um, at the same time, um, transmitting those electricity to our neighboring balancing authorities. In recent years, as our renewable energy portion in the grid grows, the curtailments also grew. So what you are seeing here is that in 2020, this red bar, uh, dark red bar shows the amount of curtailments per month. Um, so as you can see, April generally, April, May, to my understanding, is the highest curtailment month. And uh, we have seen the highest curtailment in history in California. And that is partly due to the COVID-19 as well, to my understanding. But as our uh, portion of the uh, renewable energy degree increases, um, there is a speculation that probably curtailment problem is, um, is, is also growing. So this is the uh, annual curtailment in Kaizo, um, um, but on a daily basis. So our annual curtailment in 1915, um, know, sorry, 2015 was only 188 gigawatt hour, and um, it grew all the way to about 460 gigawatt hour in 19, uh, 2018 and 2019. Last year, it doubled um, the amount. So fa- fairly significant growth in curtailment, as you can see. And this is interesting because in California, as you all know, uh, we are paying a bit more to electricity. And 2019 report uh, just released, to my understanding, we are paying about 55 uh, percent higher price for uh, electrics as compared to national average. So if I just convert 2019 uh, curtailment to retail price um, of about 20 cents per kilowatt hour, which is um, about the average of the California Uh, ratepayers paying for electricity is about $200 million worth of electricity that uh, we are curtailing in uh, 2019. So when I faced these figures, I thought that, well, this does not make sense to me. A larger amount of electricity is either wasted or sold at a negative price to our neighbors from the state where electricity price is one of the highest in the nation. And the problem is that to grow. So obviously there are a lot of people working on um, ad- addressing this curtailment problem. For example, you know, as uh, Southern California Edison um, um, also working on this and um, um, the pg and working on this, um, we are putting a lot of grid scale battery storage and there are more um, to come in, in the plant. And uh, we are talking about lithium ion batteries and some uh, working on flow batteries. Another uh, strategy to solve this curtailment problem is is to expand the transmission lines. So that is basically about moving watts. So when there is excess electricity, we are transmitting to other neighboring um, grid authorities uh, by um, expansion of the transmission lines. Another approach is to use the excess electricity to produce some uh, storable or durable goods or energy carrier so that you know, whenever you have excess electricity, you produce them, and then you can ship it to the destination where, where the demand is later. Um, because as we know, you know, um, electricity storing electricity is quite expensive. Um, but there, are these all these options um, come with all its own um, limitations. For for example. Um, batteries is still quite expensive and transmission lines, expansion of transmission lines is quite expensive and long-distance transmission, we also have transmission losses. Um, aluminum um, is quite um, you know, uh, bulky and heavy and uh, transportation um, and storage um, is quite costly. Home hydro is uh, limited by geographical spaces and hydrogen is the, um, the lightest, uh, least dense material that we know of and now uh, we already have a lot of difficulties in transporting hydrogen in longer distance. So these are the limitations of the current uh, strategies to resolve the uh, um, curtailment problem. So what we are what we are thinking of was to use data centers as a kind of a storage device. Um, and this is how, to, how we are thinking. So, so energy consumption by data centers is also set to grow. Um, this is the uh, the forecast that published in twenty eighteen. Uh, by twenty thirty, we will be seeing a lot more, more than double um, of the energy consumed by um, uh, for the information, and part of a significant portion of the uh, the growth is coming from the data centers, and this is also data centers. Um, the good thing about uh, data, instead of moving electricity, um, we can move. Data uh, much more easily and cost-effectively because we already have um, established quite substantial infrastructure for fiber optics, and uh, there is information highway basically throughout the country. So instead of moving kilowatts, we can uh, move uh, uh, bits. And what this uh, um, animation is showing is um, Twitter activities as um, um, you know the population wakes up. So as you can see. Um, as people wake up, um, you know, uh, they start to tweet, And uh, this is just one example, but what it shows is that um, the demand on data processing or data pr- transmission um, is very, uh, is not homogenous. It's very heterogeneous around the clock. So what that means is that, well, uh, data center load is not always, you know, in maximum capacity. So there is ups and downs uh, in data center uh, load. So the question is, can we use some of the slack capacity to process the data migrated from other data centers using excess electricity and transmit back the result of the processed data to the destinations where those processed data are needed? So that was the idea. And as it turns out, um, the data centers are not necessarily located in the areas where um, the electricity is uh, the most carbon um, in intensive. So some of the areas where data centers are located are very carbon intensive areas. For example, um, the PJM area, um, including West Virginia, we know that they're, they're, they're very cold, heavy electricity. Um, they have very high concentration of large data centers. So the idea is, again, using the excess electricity for data processing jobs transferred from other regions where electricity should be generated at cost. And this is the uh, the title: "Moving Bits, Not Watts." So let's look at this um, um, rather complicated uh, diagram. So let me explain what this is. Um, so let's first look at the um, the um, pink envelope here with uh, with a clear um, black line. That is a total amount of energy consumed by data centers. So you can see this. These are uh, this is for one week. Um, there is a daily pattern but also you know during the weekdays versus weekend there is a difference right and uh, data centers are using electrics not only for server activities but also non-server activities such as cooling but as you can see um, not any given time um, you know at, at, at any given time uh, data centers are not really reaching its full capacity there's ups and downs so there's always kind of a slack capacity available so this is one um, of the, uh, the, the days of 2019 that we analyzed based on the excess electricity that we had available. What if we um, augmented um, the processing of data in Kaiser region to the ex- extent that we can reach about 70% of the total capacity? So it is not always... so. You know, sometimes uh, the capacity is not available, then even if there is excess electricity, we cannot uh, use that excess electricity. Um, sometimes there is a select capacity, but there is no excess electricity. There is not always that we can fill this white space. So this is one of, one of the uh, many days, one of the 365 days we analyzed. And you can see it's not, um, you know, fooling, uh, filling up the entire gap, but um, sporadically here and there, we are filling some part of the gaps there. Um, in this particular example, we analyzed the, uh, the case of migrating uh, data uh, processing job from PJM um, to KAISO. And this is the uh, carbon intensity uh, figure that was published elsewhere and from PNAS. Um, and as you can see, PJM happens to have much higher carbon intensity as compared to Kaiser. Um So migrating data, center, uh, data processing jobs from PJM to KAISO potentially, we thought, um, reduce not only the curtailment in Kaizo, but also overall greenhouse gas emissions by displacing um, uh, carbon-intensive electricity used by carbon, uh, low carbon-intensive um, electricity in Kaizo. So just um, in summary, the question that we were asking is, so what is the potential of migrating workloads between data centers? In reducing renewable curtainment and um, how much greenhouse gas emissions can it reduce? So, here is a result. I mean, um, um, we analyzed um, quite a bit of data, um, including, for example, hourly curtainment in Kaiser in 2019. This is day by day and hour, uh, hour by hour. This is the one a zero to 24 hours, and this is January 1st to um, uh, December 31st. And um, we mapped that out with the um, hour-by-hour carbon intensity of electricity in PJM versus carbon, uh, hour-by-hour carbon intensity of Kaizo. Um, and we uh, simulated the case of um, migrating the load from PJM to Kaizo uh, during the time of excess electricity, also when there is a slack capacity um, in the, um, the servers in, um, located in Kaizo. So using existing data center infrastructure, not uh, build, building new ones. Uh, that was our start and we also analyzed what if we build additional capacity in Kaizo to absorb even more data processing jobs. So fast forward, this is a result. Um, it's a bit complicated, so I'll um, put a little bit of uh, uh, time to explain what this is. So um, obviously the amount of um the uh, excess uh, electricity, the curtailment absorption, depends on the maximum server utilization rate. And we um, believe that um, you know, in an ideal situation, it can reach probably 80, 85% of server utilization rate. Um, rarely it can go beyond uh, 90% to our understanding. Um, and um, also, it is a function of additional data center capacity, right? So, Let's look at the zero value for the additional data center capacity. So without building any additional data centers, what you can see here is that um, we can already reduce about 50% of the curtainment. this is black line here, at around um, 77, 78% of server utilization rate. And the color in the background indicate the net greenhouse gas emissions at that level. So we can reduce already quite quite significant amount of greenhouse gas emissions. These are the kiloton CO2 equivalent greenhouse gas emissions. So it's about, at this point, I would say this is, let me see, about uh, 190 um, kilotons of greenhouse gas emissions. And what is interesting is that if we add additional data centers, of course, we can absorb more, as you can see, 50% again can go up to 80%. However, at the same time, um, there is a nonlinear response uh, in terms of the amount of greenhouse gas emissions reduced. That is because um, the additional data centers will also require greenhouse gas emissions to produce them. So this is life cycle study So we have included life cycle emissions to uh, produce those uh, data center devices, equipment and, and construction. So. Um, this is the, um, the greenhouse gas emissions result, and this is abatement cost result. So um, we also analyze the potential cost associated with absorbing additional um, uh, data processing jobs. Um, and this is again, the function of uh, maximum server utilization rate and additional data center capacity. What I want you to um, pay attention to is this zero line. This zero line means that, well, below the zero line, basically, um, this solution, uh, moving um, bits rather than watts, will save cost while reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So in summary, um, um, the result shows that the um, load migration within the existing data center capacity during the curtailment hours in Kaiso has the potential to reduce 113 to about 240 kilo, uh, kiloton of CO2 per year. Um, that was based on 2019 data, um, and absorb up to 62% of the total curtailment with negative abatement, co- abatement cost in um, 2019, of course, depending on the server utilization rate. Um, it is also possible, from uh, according to our analysis, uh, to absorb up to 77 to 79% excess DRE, while uh, still managing uh, to keep the net abatement costs negative. So this is, uh, in a way, uh, you know, kind of simulation results. It's a more theoretical exercise. And there are obviously a lot of challenges or reasons why uh, this is not happening already. Um, So one of the challenges um, is that uh, we need fluid communication and control among um, variable renewable energy generators and independent system operators, as well as data centers. And uh, we don't uh, have that yet. And also, there should be a mechanism to share the benefits among parties, and uh, currently there are silos. And even if uh, the working together will be able to generate benefits, there is no mechanism to share that benefit. That's one of the reasons why this is not happening. Um, and I think that the um, we also um, found that there are some contractual obligations that may be along the, the way, uh, which is that, well you know, the service level agreement by the data centers um, uh, specified the, the delays that they can tolerate and uh, transmitting data processing jobs to Kaiser and coming back uh, may violate some of those contractual obligations. And obviously there are some data processing jobs that are not urgent and uh, those asynchronous jobs would be the first target uh, for this type of uh, arrangement. What is also key to this type of um, uh, solution is the ability to accurately forecast variable energy, uh, variable renewable energy output. Um, and if we cannot do that, then well, you know, we don't know when to migrate data, um, data processing jobs, and when not to migrate data processing jobs. And um, there are some progresses in this uh, direction. And what I'm showing at the bottom of this uh, slide um, is um, the results from the uh, Adam Brandt uh, uh, from. Um, from Stanford, who was also a a guest speaker at IEE Seminar about a year ago. Um, He developed uh, the algorithm using uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence to have a short-term forecast of renewable um, energy generation, just using the camera to look into the sky. And um, his team was able to come up with a fairly robust algorithm to forecast the the renewable energy generation, short-term forecast. So through those you know, development, I believe that, well, there is a potential. So what we have analyzed, which is the potential um, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions as well as the cost and minimize the curtailment. So this is the QR code. If you have a camera, uh, you can just scan this and it will lead you to the free copy of this article. Just publish it. Um, and I would like to again acknowledge my co authors, Jaja um, and Andrew. Jaja, um, especially, did all the uh, great uh, analytical works uh, with this uh, paper.